following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. I grew up in the Sacramento, San Joaquin Valley of California, oftentimes referred to as a breadbasket of the United States. And it was there that, uh, like most kids, you learn a little bit about an agrarian lifestyle. My dad was very, very good at it. He grew up on a farm in Sacramento. And when we moved into the suburbs and he got a job with the city, he still continued to grow things on our little bit of uh, property. Our um, front yard and our backyard, he put it all in. And so I followed him once to the nursery and was standing in front of that display with all the packets of seed. And I thought to myself, I, I think I'd like to try to grow something. I was looking over the packages of seed, and the one that attracted my attention was a, a package of corn seeds because that was the biggest of all the packages, and it uh, was something I could still afford. It was 25 cents. So I bought that packet of seeds, and I told my dad I was going to grow some corn, and he was very pleased. And I asked him where I could do it. He showed me in the backyard a plot of dirt. I raked it out, got rid of all the stuff, and got it prepared. And I opened up my pack of corn seeds, and I didn't want to waste them all in one season. So I just pulled out five of those little corn seeds and put five holes in the ground with my index finger and buried it. And then I sat there, and I watched to see what would happen. And like most youngsters, realizing that this was getting boring really fast, I left my little project. And for several days there, I sort of ignored my project. And on one Saturday, watching Saturday cartoons, Heckle and Jekyll, um, I remember my dad coming in. He was a man of very few words, and he just asked the question, water your, water your corn? And I thought, no, no, no. And so I ran outside realizing that I had been neglectful. So I turned on the water faucet and on the hose, and I started watering my corn. I thought, well, this is getting really boring really fast. So I thought there's got to be a smarter way to do this. So I just turned the water on just as a trickle, and I left the hose there by my corn row, and I ran back inside to continue watching Saturday cartoons. And um, I don't know how long it, time passed, but my dad came in, and um, he just said one word. He says, flood. My dad of many, very few words. So I walked, ran outside, and sure enough, there was this stream of water just running back through the backyard and stream running right in front of me. And my dad pointed down to a little piece of greenery running through the stream that I, I had caused. And he said... As he pointed to it, he says, weed. I said, oh, okay. And then another green thing was floating by, and my dad pointed at it and said, corn plant. So I had uh, started with five, and I washed out one. So it was one down, four to go. So now I was very faithful trying to water my corn. And uh, watching these, these things grow into a little plant, I was pretty impressed. And I grew about knee-high. I remember going out before school trying to water my plants again. And I noticed, well, this is strange. One of them was bright red, orange, and yellow, and all the other ones were still green. I ran inside and says, hey, Dad, come see this. And my dad walked out. He looked it over, and he just said one word, a man of very few words. He just said, blight. He says, blight. Oh, okay. He says, dust. Sure. I said, dust. I ran inside, got a can of pledge and a, and a cloth, and he looked at me like, you know, are you really my son? And so he went into the garage and got some spray and sprayed the other plants. That one was dead, so there were three left, and and so I was really enjoying it. These things were starting to grow pretty tall. And then one day I went out there to water them and make sure they were dusted and no, no disease. And I 
thought, man, this is strange. There's only two plants left. And I ran up there, and there was a hole in the ground, and one of them had disappeared. And I ran inside and said, hey, Dad, one of, someone stole one of my corn plants. And my dad went outside, and, and we were standing there, and the, the second corn plant was starting to shake. And it started to sink. And it was being pulled under the ground, and my dad says, gopher. And my dad had very few words, and I said, gopher, yeah, I'll go for whatever you want. What do you want me to go get? You know, I was just one of those brand-new farmers, and my dad just kind of shook his head, go get the shovel. So I got the shovel. My dad was just digging furious. The sand, the dirt was flying all over the place, and he captured the gopher, threw it in a bucket, and, uh, and he handed it to me. And I says, what do you want me to do with it? He says, flush it. So I said, okay, great. I ran into the bathroom, threw it in the toilet, and hit the flush. And that little gopher said goodbye. I said goodbye to it. And I went outside. I only had one corn plant left. And after all of that effort, just one corn plant left, and, and I just noticed that there was one ear of corn on it. And just took care of that thing, was so proud of it. One day my dad, man of very few words, just simply said to me, harvest. So I yanked off that ear of corn. I thought to myself, well, there's five in our family, six in our family. How in the world are we going to do this? So our next-door neighbor, who'd always been giving us stuff and, and uh, so kind to us, I jumped up on top of the fence and sat there and smiled and Mrs. Harrell looked up, hi, Bruce. I said, hi, Mrs. Harrell. Hey, I have something for you. I grew it myself. And I handed her the only year of corn that I was able to harvest that year. And she probably didn't even like corn, but she said how grateful she was for it. But I still remember that as one of those phenomenal moments as a youngster growing up, what it was like to grow something from the ground. And that growing something from the ground required the protection of the seed and the plant and watching through all of the circumstances to allow growth to happen so there would be the bearing of fruit. Well, I, I think that this particular passage of Scripture that we're going to deal with today is pretty amazing because Jesus Christ is going to change everything in how he approaches and deals with truth and information and in what he's going to be teaching because his whole teaching technique changes. And one of the most amazing things is when we look at this whole process of what growth and bearing fruit is all about, Jesus Christ is it's like he's playing a shell game. It's like he's trying to play a guessing game for anybody who's interested in hearing him. But when you start to look at the context of the whole book of Mark as we've studied it so far, and from the standpoint of where this particular episode is going to occur in chapter 4, the first 20 verses, we can trek on where we've been in our studies. And this, this trek is, is amazing. Because from the very first verse of chapter 1 of Mark, Jesus Christ is presenting himself. And he's presenting himself from the standpoint of who he is and the credentials that authorize him to represent Almighty God as Messiah for the nation of Israel. And Christ just doesn't come on the scene and say, hey, look at me, this is who I am. But instead, he lets all these people testify to who he is, lets all these events point to him. He allows all these things that he says and all the things that he does all these things from the first three chapters to point to one thing. I am the Son of God, the Messiah, sent by God to fulfill all the promises you as a nation of Israel have been expecting. So Christ doesn't demand belief, but he offers the evidence. And now at this particular juncture, the nation of Israel's leadership, the teachers of law, are starting to doubt. They're thinking to themselves, he can't be the Messiah, because we're the ones who should deserve all the attention from the people. It's really an issue of massive jealousy. 
And so they start to think of ways, no, I don't like what he's saying. No, no, look at that. Very inconsistent with all the stuff we've been saying. So at this particular juncture, Jesus Christ knows that the leadership of the nation of Israel have already decided in their spirit to reject Jesus. So Christ now gets complicated from the standpoint of what he tries to accomplish. On the one hand, he wants to keep on presenting the word of God to people who have the potential to believe and have not rejected him yet. On the other hand, he wants to say these things in the hearing of the leadership of the nation of Israel, but he wants to hide truth from them so that they're not going to be more responsible for rejecting more information. Now, if you can make that distinction in your mind, Christ is speaking to the masses. He wants to attract the attention of those who still want to believe, but he wants to protect those who have already rejected him in their spirit from being judged for more information that they've rejected, so he takes away their understanding. And he does that through parables. So if you can think about parables being Jesus Christ's teaching technique to attract others to the word of God who still want to believe, but to protect those who've rejected the truth from ever being judged for, for being responsible for rejecting more. Think about that as I read this passage of scripture that we will study this morning. Again, Jesus began to teach chapter 4 of Mark, beginning of verse 1, by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake, while all the people along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teachings said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root, other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Now, some of you who are listening to the reading of the word, you're thinking, okay, 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 this is sounding kind of, I've never quite thought this is very clear. This always seems like a little weird. Well, think about your reaction to just that reading of the word of God in those eight verses. And then think about how Christ goes on here in verse 9. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know about you, but I always hate it when Jesus says that. Because it almost always comes with a passage of Scripture. They're not quite sure what he meant when he said those things. So I'm thinking, well, I got ears, but apparently I'm not hearing. I'm getting a little nervous here because maybe I'm missing something that should be really obvious. That's exactly what that phrase means. We should try to pay attention to what is obvious. And if we're missing it, we've got to go back and pay better attention. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. We don't know what you're talking about. We have ears, at least we thought, but now we didn't hear it. So Jesus told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Wow. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. So if you've ever gone to uh, listen to Pastor Greg speak or gone to a Bible study or read something in the scripture 
and you're scratching your head at the end of it and thinking to yourself, man, I haven't a clue what that's all about. So you read it again, man, I'm more confused. Oh, well, it's probably way beyond me. I'll leave this to the pastors, to the professionals. I'll leave this to people who've gone to Bible college or seminary. Well, Jesus Christ makes that last comment. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Not that he doesn't want people to be forgiven, but he doesn't want them to be responsible for more rejection than they have already rejected by saying, I don't believe what I just heard. So now in verse 13, he begins to explain something, and here's where clarity starts to come. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for those things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Well, let's look at this amazing passage of Scripture and try to figure out how to sort it out for ourselves as we try to be impactful individuals here in the city of Houston. Well, in this parable of soils in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, there are several features that are common through all four of these scenarios. First, there's a path uh, that's part of the agrarian society where the farmer's got to walk through the field to get to the crops. There's the rocky ground, which is usually on the perimeter, sometimes right in the middle, sometimes islands within the, the land, depending on how in the world the farmer was able to prepare the land for crops. There's thorns, there's weeds. Everybody who grows anything knows something about weeds. But then there's, of course, the good ground. One of the most amazing things about this passage of Scripture is that all four of these scenarios are ones that we should pay very careful attention to. Don't think of it as one massive story, but one, one major theme with four different applications in the lives of people. First of all, there's the seed on the path. When he thinks about the seed on the path, notice here, like all four of these scenarios, the seed is always good. The seed, the word of God, is always good. Nothing wrong with what is presented. Notice also the soil in all four is basically the same. Uh, sometimes there's more good soil concentrated section, sure. And there's some areas of the same soil, but it has a problem with its context. So the, the rocky soil or the, the soil that is now not part of, the, part of the farmer's intention has a lot of thorns and thistles growing up. Here, the seed on the path is the ground is compacted. It is the place where people walk or the farmer walks in order to get to the rest of the parts of the field in order to tend it. If we can think about what the scripture teaches here, he's saying to us that the seed is good, the soil is the same, but the preparation of this particular soil is not receptive for the receiving of the seed because it's too hard for the seed to penetrate. Now, one of the amazing things about this passage of scripture is that Jesus says, Satan comes along like the birds 
And when the word of God, which is good, comes to an individual who has a compacted spirit, a non-receptive heart, Satan takes the seed away before it ever has a chance to germinate. And that person is no longer potentially impacted by the truth of the word of God. You remember those times when you come to church and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm in a bad mood. Nothing's really good. I'm really annoyed by this. I don't want to hear what pastor has to say. Whichever church you might be represented here, whoever your pastor's name is, you're thinking, ah, I just don't want to hear this. Worship goes on and you're resisting it. You cross your arms. You think about something else. You sigh deeply to make sure that your family or people around you know that you're bored and you're irritated and you're a little bit distracted. And then when the sermon's going on, you're thinking to yourself, man, this is the slowest thing I've ever heard. I can't wait to get out of here. Constantly in your mind is this spirit and the attitude of rejection, holding at a distance the truth of the word of God. We've all experienced that. We're guys, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to walk into a service or a Bible study or walk even into our devotions and be annoyed. We've compacted our spirit and we will not receive the word. So one of the things we do is we blame the, the preacher. Oh, he was born today. He's a little bit off today. He must be having a bad day. So we blame something else so that we don't have to receive the truth. One of the greatest ways that we can apply the word of God today in our lives is, are we willing to receive the word of God when it's presented well to us? Because the seed, according to this parable, the seed in all four of these scenarios, it's always good. The soil is always the same. Just the circumstances or the situation where it's not been weeded, the rocks haven't been taken away, it's been compacted, so it's a soil that's been sort of manipulated or in, in an uncared for way. So now we come to the section here when he talks about the seed is sown on soil that is now rocky. I didn't understand this really very well in my mind until I went to Israel for the first time and I saw some of the land over there in the nation of Israel. And you talk about rocky. Some of that land is almost impossible. You would think if you inherited an acre of that, it'd take your entire lifetime just to clear the rocks in order to grow anything. When you look at this again, the scenario is the same. The seed is good. The word of God always is outstanding. The soil is the same. As far as its quant the quantity of goodness, it, it varies because the circumstances are different. But the seed, the, the soil of the, well, that's trying to receive the seed is essentially the same in all four scenarios. But the ground is rocky. So here is the sense where the seed maybe having a chance to germinate, but because of all the rocks underneath the soil, the roots can't go very deep. There's not anything in the life of the seed that's germinating that's very, very, it's not going to be very productive from the standpoint of any kind of longevity. There's nothing sustainable about making this part of the plot of land encouraging for seed to germinate and have any kind of growth. And you guys know what that's like for all of us, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to get really excited about something at church, whatever it might be, whatever church you go to. If the guys do something that's really fun, they go out to a game, they, they have a barbecue, they do something the guys really enjoy, it's great to be emotionally expressive about something that's fun. But when it comes down to any kind of depth or commitment or who might be there or who might not be there, we are the kinds of guys who make choices on the receptivity of the environment of the Word of God because of whether or not we really have any depth at all in our own spiritual interests. 
The third area is an area that's really convicting for a lot of us as guys because seed is sowed among the soil that has weeds, thorns in it. Again, notice the same scenario. The seed is the same. It's very good. The soil is essentially the same. It can germinate, but there's a problem here, and that's weed infested. And when Jesus Christ goes through this whole process, he's suggesting to us very strongly that in this business of life, when there are worries, when there is a concern about wealth, when there are issues of want, those three W's get in the way of making sure that we're going to receive the word of God and enjoy what God wants us to do, and that is grow and to bear fruit. You remember those three W's? Every time you get on the internet, see WWW, wealth, worries, and want. If those things really dominate our attention, we will have already forfeited the receptivity of the word of God in our life. Now you talk about a passage of scripture that's here for Ben, where Satan comes along because we've been compacted, we're just resistant. We're just non-receptive to the word of God before the word of God is even given to us. When we know, and now that we've heard it, maybe we'll see it in our lives, when we are non-receptive to the word of God, and the word of God comes to us and we're thinking, I'm not too interested, and we make some excuse for not receiving it. Can you remember at those moments that Satan is actually active in our life? He's more active in our life than the Holy Spirit. And Satan comes along and snatches away the word of God so that it will not germinate in our life. That's because of us. We've allowed life to compact us so that we will not be receptive to the truth. Rocky soil, we get enthused by being selective of the things that excite us in our Christian life rather than just jumping in and making a commitment. Whatever our local church is or however God leads my life, my enthusiasm is selective. The things I really want to show, I'm really thrilled about this. If we do that selectivity based upon my interest with really no depth in our Christian life, we've already forfeited the potential for the Word of God to find its place in our life and to grow and to bear fruit. If we're the kinds of individuals who like the seed sowed among thorns, if we worry, something is preoccupying us because we want to control it, we want to direct it, we're concerned about the consequences that we don't see a way out of it. If money issues really do dominate our lives, where wealth and issues regarding wealth are really influential, or if there are really strong wants in our life that preoccupy us more than really wanting to know Jesus, more wanting than than wanting to know the Word of God, we've already forfeited in advance the effect that the Word of God can have in our life. Now, of those three scenarios, he now comes with a fourth, which is a really positive one, pretty exciting from the bad influences he just talked about, and that's uh, the seed that fell along good soil. And the amazing thing, again, is the seed is the same. The seed is very good. The Word of God is outstanding. And the soil is the same as it is in all four of these scenarios. But here, there is a strong sense that the Scripture is telling us, now there are no hindrances to the Word of God finding a place, germinating, growing, and bearing fruit. If you want to know a very simple understanding and a picture in your mind of what the Christian life should be, it should be grow and bear fruit. If your Christian life is described by that picture, 
I, have, I can look back on the last month of my life. I can look back on the last year, the last five years, and I can see wonderful growth that God has given me and blessed my life with. And I can see this fruit that has been born, whether through edification or evangelism, either one, God has borne fruit out of the growth that I have seen in the last year or five years of the track record of my life. That's exactly what this scenario and this whole parable is all about. The Word of God is incredibly powerful. Has it been effective in our lives as men who represent Jesus Christ? In the day in which Jesus Christ was speaking here, if someone were to be out there as an as a agriculturalist or a farmer, if they sowed seed and it grew up into a crop and they were able to harvest it, if they had 10 times in the harvest more than what they actually sowed in the field, 10 times the harvest, that would be considered an excellent year. 10 times a tenfold increase is excellent. So knowing that, and the audience all knew that, everybody who listened to Jesus Christ was familiar with that. If someone got twofold, they, you know, that was okay. If they got fivefold, you know, that was, that was fine, but tenfold. That was a generous return on a very good harvest. Christ doesn't even go there to the most excellent and the best scenario for the people who are listening. Instead, he says, when the word of God falls on ground that's very receptive and there's growth on a harvest, some will grow 30-fold, some will grow 60-fold, some will grow 100-fold. The return on the harvest, according to this story that Jesus Christ sets up, it is so beyond and so extreme. Some Bible students have suggested that Christ is talking about eternity. It's not just this life that we live. It is the reward that God gives to us when we get to heaven and see all that he was able to accomplish in our life in this lifetime because we allowed the word of God to find root, grow in our lives, and to bear fruit. Gentlemen, as a warrior's heart... One of the greatest things that we could ever do is the lives of people around us are always watching. Live your lives as those who are as extremely receptive to the Word of God. Don't take the position of saying, ah, nah, that's, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not into it today. Nah, the Bible, the Word of God, ah, the preacher, nah, that lesson, ah, nah, that teacher, nah. I'm just, nah, that, that wasn't that great. When we become judgmental, selective, and negative, with regard to how we receive the word of God, we have put ourselves into a very awful position of not growing and bearing fruit. And even the very worst of preachers and even the most boring of preachers, we should be able to look at the word of God and find something there in the truth of the word of God that's going to make our lives grow. No one here in this room has heard more, has heard more worse sermons in their life than I have. I teach homiletics. I teach young seminarians how to preach. And honestly, some of those have been some of the worst sermons I think ever preached in the history of Christianity. But also, some of these young students have preached some of the very best sermons I've ever heard in my lifetime. And I'm always eager to even learn from the students who are struggling, those who haven't got a clue how in the world to open up the Bible and make sure that it's clearly understood by the audience. But I am convinced 
that no matter what we hear on the outside, no matter what the circumstances are, if my spirit is receptive to receive the word of God, I will, by the power of the spirit, find a way to receive truth from God's word, even through the most uninteresting and some of the most difficult of all communicators. If we become resistant, then it's more not of the word of God that's being given in the commentary. It's our lives. It's like that really bad boss who was so mean to all his people. He was always angry and he manipulated people through his anger. He was there in a meeting and things weren't going well, so he yells at his secretary, I need a pencil. Where's my pencil? Secretary walks up very calmly, very used to her overbearing and obnoxious boss. She said, it's behind your ear, sir. And the boss, of course, not wanting to be put down by his secretary in front of all these people with whom he's trying to dominate, he says, you realize how busy I am and how difficult things are? Which ear? Which ear is it behind? So there's one of those kinds of moments where it's really a reflection of how bad he is, that he's really compacted his spirit so much he can't receive from anyone. Now, gentlemen, we want to be the kinds of people who are open to the word of God. The receptivity of our spirit is a reflection of who we are. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying. What kind of soil are we? Are we compacted, resistant? Are we in rocky soil being selective? Are we the kinds who are choked by weeds because of three W's? Or are we good soil, prepared well, protected, so that the word of God can germinate, find root, grow, and bear fruit? Have a great table talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.